Well, this Easter weekend, uh, I drew what we preachers refer to as the short straw. The short straw means that you're giving the talk on Good Friday instead of Easter Sunday. And we sometimes feel that because when you parse out the Easter weekend and the good news of Jesus into more of the bad news, focusing on his death on Good Friday, and the amazing news of his resurrection on Sunday, well, you know, like all of us, we'd rather attend weddings than funerals. You'd rather give the good news than focus on the bad. So what typically happens on a Good Friday in order for us to kind of reflect on Good Friday in a way that is truly good is one of two things. Uh, on the one hand, we'll reflect on Jesus' death as horrific as it was as a, a demonstration of his love for us. And we'll celebrate on Good Friday because we'll reflect on the lengths to which Jesus demonstrated how much he loves all of us, including you and me. The other way we'll kind of look at it uh, is that we'll reflect on the spiritual significance of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, what's theologically referred to as substitutionary atonement, the price, spiritually speaking, that Jesus paid on our behalf so that we didn't have to. And that kind of turns the tragedy of Jesus' death into something good that we can celebrate on Good Friday as we reflect on the implications of his death in our lives. What I'm wondering today, though, is whether there might be a third angle that we could look at the death of Jesus from, and from the perspective of Good Friday, make it legitimately good, not just reflecting on what happened way back then, but actually staring at what Jesus' death invites you and I into today, what lifestyle Jesus invites us into today as a result. And as I reflect on it, I feel like Good Friday may actually be the key dependent on us experiencing all the amazing stuff that we want to celebrate in a couple days' time on Easter Sunday. In fact, I believe that if we can embrace the full essence of what Good Friday invites us into, we can then experience the fullness of what Easter Sunday seeks to celebrate. Uh, this week that we've uh, kind of defined as this mini-series, Eight Days That Change Everything, we're trying to focus on episodes in the life of Jesus as recorded in the biographical account written by uh, the Apostle John. And uh, beginning in verse 3 of John chapter 18, there's a little episode that starts this way. It says, Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. This is the moment in Jesus' life where he's been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, kind of preparing for his eventual death, and the betrayer disciple Judas Iscariot shows up with a bunch of civic and religious leaders to arrest him. Well, you can imagine that among his friends and disciples that were with him, some of them wanted nothing to do with this. And that's what we see in verse 10. It says, there then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Maybe a bit too much graphic detail, but uh, you can kind of sympathize with a disciple like Peter who doesn't want to see his friend and spiritual leader arrested, let alone considering the implications of what that arrest would probably mean. You know, a trial, a conviction, and an ultimate death, if not a gruesome 
crucifixion. Peter didn't want any part of that. And so in resisting Jesus' arrest and resisting the inevitable trajectory of that arrest, Peter tries to act, which is why it's so surprising that when Jesus responds to Judas' arrival, his rebuke is not of the traitor Judas. It's of the disciple and friend Peter. Look at what it says in verse 11. It says, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? It says, put your sword away. Some biographical accounts actually say Jesus healed the wounded ear, which was a nice thing to do before your arrest. But in John's translation or in John's uh, account, he describes Jesus' explanation to Peter on why he wants him to no longer resist his arrest. Because, as he says, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? What Jesus is referring to is clarity around his destiny. He understands the role that God intends him to play in his redemptive and restorative plan for humanity and for the world. And Jesus knows that if he's going to rise from the dead and make his resurrection power available, well, then he's got to enter the grave and become dead in the first place. Jesus doesn't resist in the same way that Peter does because Jesus knows that without death, there is no resurrection. That without death, there is no resurrection. And he faces death courageously. So what I'm wondering today, as we try to celebrate Good Friday, has less to do with reflecting on the love of Jesus that's demonstrated by his death or the spiritual implications of his death, but what Jesus actually models to would-be followers of his through his death. And I wonder, you know, if we could just change our perspective this Good Friday from simply what we often call in Christian circles, receiving Christ, receiving his love, receiving his spiritual implications. And as prospective would-be followers of Jesus, looking to the life of Jesus as a life to follow, whether we can actually gain something in our lives through the model of his embrace of death. Because in our lives as well, spiritually particularly, there is no experience of resurrection without embracing a degree of death. Just like what Jesus models, he invites us to experience a reality where there is no resurrection without death. Jesus actually taught this to his disciples. It was called the gain your gain his life by losing yours kind of spiritual phenomenon. And he describes it uh, in Luke chapter 9. I love this uh, voice paraphrase where it says this in verse 24. It says, if you try to avoid danger and risk, then you'll lose everything. But if you let go of your life and risk all for my sake... Well, then your life will be rescued and healed and made whole and full. This is a far better description, I think, of what the heart of what Jesus gets at in this spiritual principle, a foundational dynamic to a life of faith in Christ, that the way we experience his risen life, the way we experience his resurrection activity and power, the way we're healed and made full and whole 
is by relinquishing things in our lives that are barriers to experience that, by dying to things in our lives so that increasingly Jesus can live his risen life in and through us. And so for many of us, as we think about the ways in which we would love Jesus to invade our lives to a greater degree, we would love for him to enable our lives to flourish and to blossom. Well, in the same way we look outside this time of year and realize that these spring blossoms are a product of the dark season of winter, the real question becomes, what are we willing to die to in order to experience that? Are we willing to die to our pride, to die to our ego, to die to our independence, to die to our selfishness, to die to our comfort, to die to our control, to die to the lie that we keep telling ourselves in order to experience the fullness of his resurrection life in us? There is no resurrection without death. And so for many of us, I think at a very personal level, uh, 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 from a practical perspective, the question isn't just, you know, what do we need to die to? The question, I think, is what are we most resisting dying to in our lives that, even maybe without knowing it, is robbing us of experiencing a greater degree of the fullness of Jesus' risen life in us? Are we resistant to confessing that secret sin that for so long is robbing us of experiencing the fullness of true forgiveness? Are we resisting owning the choices that we've made and are instead continuing to deflect and redirect and justify and excuse in a way that's robbing us from experiencing the spiritual wonder of grace? Are we holding on and resisting relinquishing that habit or that comfort or that luxury or that privilege in a way that's robbing us from experiencing the full abundance of what Jesus died and rose again to make possible in our lives? See, to me, I believe that Good Friday from this perspective doesn't have to be the short straw. In fact, I think Good Friday at some level is the key to the entire Easter weekend. Because if we can't get Good Friday right and the life that Jesus invites us into, there is no experience of Easter Sunday in our lives. So the question today is, can we shift our perspective from simply receiving what Jesus wants to provide through Good Friday, and instead of just receiving Christ, actually aspire to follow Jesus and relinquish our urge to resist dying to things in our lives that rob our fuller experience of him. Because the spiritual truth this Easter weekend is that there is no resurrection without death. And it's only as we're willing to die to these things in our lives that we can fully experience the wonder of what Sunday seeks to celebrate. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we reflect again on your love for us, the lengths you went to show your love for us and all that you accomplished on the cross, we also want to hear your whisper of the life you invite us into. And I pray that by your spirit, you would point out all those specific things in each of our lives that we're resistant like Peter, that we're hesitant to relinquish, that we're, that we're afraid and unwilling to die to, that may actually be robbing us of experiencing the fullness of your risen life in us. God, help us to appreciate that there is no resurrection without death and help us to be willing by your strength to lay those things down and to increasingly die to our lives so that you can truly live 
in us. We celebrate you. We worship you today. And thank you that this can be a truly good Friday because of you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.